Hello, and welcome to How I Survived This, the totally badass and dramatic podcast, where we dive into the good, the not-so-good, and the totally badass journeys of women in the arts. I'm your host, Heather Corrigan. We're here today to learn about each of my guests' unique journeys, from their wins to their darkest hours and all of the dramatic moments in between. You may recognize this week's guest just by the sound of her voice. In fact, if you watch TV or listen to the radio, or for that matter, have listened to any audiobooks, like ever, they were probably narrated by our guest today. An actress, accomplished singer-songwriter, voiceover artist, and narrator to hundreds of titles. She is also an audiophile earphones recipient and this year's Booklist Voice of Choice winner. Welcome to the show, our friend, Brittany Presley. So let's go back to the very beginning. When you maybe were a kid or what's the earliest memory of you saying, I want to act, I want to sing, I want to be in this world of theater and entertainment, etc.? My older sister was an actress and was, like, very into theater and acting and whatnot. And I think um, this I do not remember at all. But I guess my parents had encouraged, like, my mom had, like, tried to get me to audition for something um, at some point. I mean, I was, like, literally probably in preschool. And I went up to the audition and, like, just panicked and froze and stood there. And, you know, they were like, okay, get her, get her off the stage. (laughs) And then, but when I was five years old, once again, I was like with my sister and, um, uh, I had just seen, uh, we had watched the movie Beaches. Don't do the math here. Don't figure out my age based on that. Um, (laughs) and I don't know, I was like in the, I guess I was in the auditorium where my sister was auditioning and I had said, like, I wanted to do it. I wanted to get up there. And I went, and they were kind of like, okay, well, we saw how that went the last time. <laughs> you know, like, it was a disaster. Yeah. Um, but I guess I went up and I sang Glory of Love, just like Bette Midler. And that was my first play when I was five. <laughs> yes. So when you were five, you were, you passed the nervousness and, did yeah. you get bitten by the theater bug right then and there? You know, again, I don't I don't know. I think I just like wanted to be a part and my sister was doing it and so it just was like, yeah, I'll do this. I was very into dance. That was like kind of my thing. Um amazing. And singing was like just something I did, I guess, but I didn't like I don't know, it was very strange. Like it was like I liked to sing, but I was know how to it was I don't know how to it's weird to still feel like you're like bragging when even though like your little six-year-old self is like a completely different person so I'll brag on my six-year-old like I guess I just had like a really I had a one of those like big voices you know like I had the whole like vibrato voice when I was like a little kid yeah but I was just kind of like going along with everything and then I'm from Raleigh, uh, North Carolina, and, like, there is, like, a decent theater scene, and there was, like, a burgeoning theater scene, and, like, I don't know if you feel this way, Heather, too, but, like, I always think, like, I'm like, oh, the people there were so amazing, and now I'm like, were they that good, or was it just that I was, like, young and, like, not very exposed to things? But in my mind, all these people were, like, incredibly talented and amazing, and the and the community theater was off the charts. <laughs> but there was, like, an equity theater there. Yeah. So there was an equity theater there. And so I did um, that was really the big thing is that I did a production of Annie at like an equity. So there was an equity theater where they would like 
you know, bring people from New York to play like the lead roles, but then they would have like the kids and like the chorus would be composed of like local people. Um, Wait, this so is so that was, funny like, because I was job. I was just about to ask you when you were saying you had this big voice. I was like, so you wanted to be in Annie, right? Like, obviously. And did oh, yes. you audition for Annie? <sighs> ah, oh, continue. I have like Annie trauma. We, that's like a whole other story. <laughs> That'll get to oh, my, no! my trauma. <laughs> well, so at this first production, I was Molly. So I, would, I wasn't Annie. I would, played Molly because, again, I was like seven, I think. And then from that, the people that, like, ran that theater and, like, some of the actors that were doing that production. So it was, it was directed by Terry Mann or Terrence Mann of... It was directed by of, Terrence Mann? Yeah. <laughs> so he directed it. Oh, my God. And then, you know, he was, like, the original Javert in Les Mis and stuff. Yes. So then that summer, um, I got sent up to New York to do like it wasn't really an audition because they weren't actually casting for Les Mis but I like just did like um I don't know what you call it. I feel like there's a name for that where they just like do like a I feel like there's like a, a name but I can't think of what it is or kind of or like a and so basically I went and sang for the casting people of Les Mis and then they made appointments at agencies for me so it was like they yeah. weren't really casting the show but like I was like doing sort of like a whatever like a showcase audition kind of thing yeah like a mm -hmm. pre-screen thing and then they're like yep this kid's got something and so they made a bunch of phone calls to agencies and I just started doing it so it was kind of just like okay I'm, I was just very much like all right sure like it just seemed it didn't seem unusual and it wasn't something that like my family like pursued we weren't like this like oh we're gonna make my kid right. a star it was just like we were doing this show and people were like you know she should do this and we're like okay sure why not like, it just oh my kind of happened, I guess. You're no telling me what I wished happened to me. Like, you're you're basically like, that's my dream, Brittany. <laughs> to be like, to have been in New York City during the time of like Starlight Express and Cosette and playing Molly in Annie. She was my favorite. Um, all right. So from your childhood, you land yourself as an adolescent you're in high school was theater a major part of your high school into college experience or were you like nah uh I've got yeah. pipes but I'm just gonna you know no I think that because to me doing like theater and singing and doing anything on a level I've had a lot of, like, social isolation, you know, and, like, a lot of, like, bullying and a lot of, like, oh, you're the weird girl that does TV and I bet you think you're better than everyone. And in spite of the fact that I was, like, painfully insecure and I was very quiet, which when you're a very quiet, shy person who also happens to do stuff on TV, that really lends itself to being like, oh, you're a snob and you must think you're better than everybody. But instead, I was just like, wow, mm, you know, just really not that way. Um, and I think also for me, I'll, I'll keep my anti-trauma brief, but um, <laughs> so I had like gone through the whole the meat grinder that is the Annie world and like auditioned. And then that was when they were like going to they were like doing like Annie 2. It became so many iterations. It was like Annie Warbucks, Annie 2, like all these different versions of this like sequel to Annie. Mm -hmm. And I actually like got cast as Annie. And then 
like was supposed to go like rehearse with the dog, like the first like little training. And I remember getting the call, like my agent called my mom and was like, um, don't come up this weekend. There's there's some stuff going on. Like, we're not really sure. Just like hold for a minute, you know, and they lost they had lost like, I guess, some backers. And so production wasn't going to go forward. Cut to, I guess, Several months later, when it was going to go forward, it was going to be off-Broadway. And I can't remember, but I feel like, Heather, it was like $200 a week, maybe. And, like, so my parents were like, we're going to have to, like, <gasps> pay for you to be in this show. Like, we that will not sustain, you, yeah. like, us to live. So, like, we'll essentially be paying for you to work this show, which I kind of feel bad because I think later in life they're like, we should have just done it. We should have let you be in it. But, like, we couldn't, like, oh. afford to do that. <laughs> so, so. All that to that's a long way of answering. So by the time I was like in middle school, I just was like, F this. I don't want to do this anymore. Um, I just want to like be a normal kid and have friends. And like I kind of tried to like distance myself from that. And I by the time I got to high school, even more so it was like I really just wanted to be like, no, I'm just like I'm just a normal normie. <laughs> So, yeah, um, I was still like very into dance. I started doing like modern dance and because that was like for me a way. And I like was in a punk band. It was like, how can I still do these things that I want to do? But in like a very like non-commercial sort of edgy, you know, counterculture kind of way. So it was like, I'm, you know, going to. Yeah. Be in like a singing a punk rock band. I'm going to do this weird like modern interpretive dance. <laughs> So it's like, wait a minute, I was still, I was still doing it, but it felt like it was like something that would not be perceived as, I don't know, me trying to be cool. I don't know. Yes, <laughs> like, absolutely. So you were, you were marching, I guess, in a, in a big, in a big way, sort of marching to your own drum, but how you mentioned TV, did you land in TV during high school and college? Um, yeah, I mean, I had done, like, some commercials and, like, movies, like, little small parts and, like, movies and on, like, TV. Like, remember when TV movies were a big thing? I was in some of those. Oh, do I? <laughs> yeah. yeah. After, like, after school specials? Well, no, it was more like what would now be, like, the Lifetime movies. Like, so they were, like, you know, a lot of, I, like, did, you know, a Tori Spelling movie and, like, you know, those kinds of, like, Mother May I Sleep With Danger types of movies. <laughs> <laughs> the one I was in was called Deadly Pursuits. And I still get checks for like 17 cents. Really? Yes. <laughs> Where on earth are they playing? Like Hallmark Channel? I don't. I, yeah, probably. Amazing. I mean, I'm not going to knock it because a residual check is a residual <laughs> check, Brittany. Wait, let's talk about the punk rock band for a second. Did it Was this like a like a big thing in high school or like do we have do we have black hair do we have a lot of piercings blue hair blue hair blue hair no piercings um but I was just like I was so I mean listen I wasn't confused but like stylistically I was very all over the map like I was like friends with the hippie kids Yes. Yeah, I was friends with all, like, the hippie kids, so I was, like, had this sort of, like, 70s hippie style, which I still kind of embody to some degree, and then, like, but then I started hanging out with, like, the punk rock kids, so then I was, like, very into that, and, like, I don't know. I just, it was all about, you know, what can I, I don't know, it was, like, I didn't, yeah, it was, like, I wore, like, men, you know, thrift, going to the thrift store and buying like men's trousers, a lot of men's trousers and little small t-shirts. 
Wait, this was very much, yes, but this was very much the style. Let's bring it back. I think we should bring back that style. Absolutely. I know. <laughs> Go to the Salvation Army. I was basically just like, like not being preppy. Like being, my school was very preppy. Like all the like cool kids were like very preppy. So I was like, I'm going to not be preppy. Yes. Which is yes. also silly. No, but I understand completely. But do these songs that you did in this punk band with the blue hair, do they exist anywhere? And can we hear them? Yeah, I definitely, I'm somewhere. I mean, I have a, like, I have a CD of them, I'm sure. Um, And probably burned into an iTunes library somewhere on, like, an old Dell laptop, maybe. (laughs) Well, well, when you make your Spotify channel with them, do you just let me know when you put them in so that I can log in and and download? Um, Yes, for sure. So, from Raleigh-Durham, where did you end up in college or did you go to college? I did. I went to North Carolina School of the Arts for contemporary dance for a year. And then I came to New York that summer and just decided not to go back. I, I didn't really fit there. Um, it was it was not for me. Mm-hmm. And so then I took a year off and decided I was going to definitely stay in New York. And then I ended up transferring to Columbia. And so that's where I finished. And I went to school for psychology. Oh, for psychology. I felt like I was in the city. And so, like, I could dance and take act. Like, I didn't feel like I needed to get, like, a degree in the arts. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. I felt like I was, there was so much of that available, readily available, like, just with, like, classes in the city. Like, the, you know, the best of the best. So it was, like... I'll just get a degree in something that feels like it could be. Yeah. So did you still do musical theater when you were at Columbia? And like, did you jump in on any of those equity calls and audition? (sighs) Not really. I did stuff after I graduated. So like I continued to dance while I was here and I was pursuing music still. um, Mm -hmm. And like, again, like had a band and was like putting out EPs and doing shows and all that kind of stuff. And um, doing the like contemporary dance scene and um, I did a, a couple like commercials it's just I don't know it was like I was always like running from the acting thing not like running from it sounds like far more I just like I think hmm, my sister loved acting she went to school for theater and she was such like a true like a an actor. Like she read, she studied, she did all these things that I felt like I hadn't earned the right. Like it was like I had too much respect for acting to call myself an actor because I just Uh kind of was doing it as a kid without like formal training. Yes, I had acting coaches and I had seen stuff, but I never like studied the craft of acting. And so like for Mm -hmm. me, I always felt sheepish to say that I was an actor. It was like, oh, I've done some acting stuff, (laughs) but like would never like just say I was an actor. Um, And yeah. And then I graduated college and it was like I had these because I did actually end up dancing in school um, and got I ended up getting like a a minor in dance. Minor. Um, Amazing. Yeah. So because Barnard had a dance department and Barnard's like the sister school of Columbia. And so I took like a dance history class and became like friends with a woman there. And she was like, you know, because I didn't get any unsurprisingly, um, none of my school of the arts uh, credits transferred to Columbia. Uh, Mm. I can't imagine why. But um, (laughs) 
Uh, but this lady was like, you know, if you'll get a dance minor, we can give you those credits because like Columbia may not honor them. But if you had taken these dance classes at Barnard, they would have blah, 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 blah. She saved me basically a ton of she saved me a ton of money in a whole semester of school because she got me like 12 of my credits transferred or whatever. Oh, that's incredible. But yeah, it was kind of like, oh, well, you sing and you dance. So you should do music, musical theater. Right. And I just. I think it was, like, the culture of it. Like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I would go to these open calls. You know how they are. And, like, I just would, like, have my headphones in and be trying to, like, just tune it out. And, like, there was it was just such a scene. It was just such a scene. And everybody coming in and being like, oh, my God. You know, everyone's, like, everyone's pretending to ask how everyone else is. But it's really just they're waiting for them to for the moment to be able to tell other people or the whole room what they've been up to. It's like, oh, I haven't seen you so long. Oh, that's probably because I've been on tour with this huge show that I'm doing. You know, it was just like, (laughs) so I wonder if, and and this is just a guess, but I wonder if, um, do you think that your degree and your classes that you took in psychology with your major at Columbia sort of opened your mind and your eyes up early to the, um, to the to the trappings of the early years of our business to that most people sort of tend to fall into. And you could sort of like have this lens of seeing what people were really, like what their end game kind of was. Even if they didn't know it, you kind of were like, oh, this feels icky. I don't want any part of this. Like, yeah. do you think that the classes that you were taking in psychology sort of lend, lended to that awareness? Maybe I would say I was more drawn to psychology because I was already that type of person. In uh-huh. that sense. Like yeah, I was yeah, just yeah. always very interested in like and like reading the room and kind of like going, I don't know. Um so like both so yes, yeah, so like it was probably enhanced by that, like that awareness mm-hmm. and some of that taking some of those classes. It was just also incredibly like refreshing. I loved college so much. And I feel like you can maybe appreciate this because it was like for the first time in my life after pursuing, you know, the arts and all these very um, non like or or rather these very subjective pursuits to go and like kind of throw myself into academia where it felt so just like straightforward. Like if you study, you'll get a good grade. If you do the work, you'll get a like. Like, it just felt like effort in, output. Like, if you put the effort in, you'll get the reward. Unlike, like, all your artistic pursuits where you're just working your ass off with very limited, measurable, tangible moments of, like, success or that this worked or this, you know. And it was like, I just fell, like, head over heels with academia and, like, became, like, a huge nerd because I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm getting good grades. Like, I did the work and now I have an A. Like, you know, it was just so simple. Um, And I found that to be like, it was like what my soul needed, I think, was just to like be a part of a system where if you put in the work, you, for the most part, you know, you put in the work, you study for the test, you get a good grade on that test. Like, and it's right. You're not, you're not like judging or reviewing or. Yeah. Or rolling the dice. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's also just the law of numbers in a performing career. Like you can be doing amazing work, but everybody can't get the lead part, but everybody can get an A on the test. So it's like you just feel like there's not it's success doesn't feel limited by like a numbers game. It's like as long as you do the work and put in the effort, 
everyone can do well at this this one task. Whereas like in other things, it's like, well, only one of you is going to get this role. <laughs> the rest of right. you, too bad. <laughs> too bad. Maybe next so year. You, you loved college and you graduated and then you're in New York and, mm-hmm. you know, those huge open calls, they weren't for me either. I don't think anybody really truly uh, loved them. But did you have... Uh, like early on, did you have a like a side gig or a side um, hustle that you did in order yeah, to survive so, in the in the Big Apple? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was teaching dance to little kids. I was um, a personal assistant to a couple of different um, psychologists, psychiatrists, um, office assistant. I guess really more than personal assistant. Um, cause I was doing like billing and like actually office work. Um, I was a cocktail waitress, bottle service waitress, and often all three of those things at once. <laughs> there were many days where I would be like up for my office job, you know, being at the office at like 8 a.m. Cause she'd start having patients at 8 30 or 9. And then I would leave and go teach like a couple dance classes and then go home and like rest and then go to my like nine or 10 o'clock nightclub job. Wow. I I had the same schedule and, and I actually over. now <laughs> don't know how. I mean, it's it's no joke, but I don't know how you did that. That's no. crazy. Yeah. And now I'm like nine or 10 o'clock. That's bedtime. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> There's no way I could go out <laughs> and work at nine or 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. But that's what you do when yeah. you're early days, uh, you know, New York City. So how did you land in the world of um, voiceover? Um, so I think it was just like, you know, it's like I'm saying, like, it's like you're, you, I'm not, not to say running from acting, but it was like, it was like, it was just always there. It was always kind of like, maybe, I don't know, calling, calling me back. Um, no, but I was pursuing music again. <clears throat> My boyfriend at the time was an audio engineer. And so Mm -hmm. um, he was like producing music and I was trying to, you know, we were working on stuff to like be able to make my own, you know, records and and stuff like that. Um, And so honestly, we just bought a bunch of stuff, like spent, you know, got like the nice, the nice stuff, Um, Mm -hmm. all this audio gear to like start our own studio. And the goal actually at the time was that I started getting really into wanting to be like a vocal producer, um, which is like a job that like, I don't even know if it really exists. I'd seen an interview with one woman who was like this quote unquote vocal producer for these pop stars. And I was like, yes, that's what I want to do. Like I want to work with like, even though I wanted to sing and stuff, like I felt like I had a knack for songwriting and for like directing and like working with people and getting like good vocals. So We started out by just, like, we were making demos. I had a lot of friends who were singers, a lot of, like, also theater friends who wanted to have, like, a demo of them singing. And so it was like, yeah, this is great, you know. Um, I mean, we were literally, like, either we would do, like, a really simple background track or, like, they would bring in, like, a karaoke track and we would just, like, produce the vocals for them. So that, you know, like, that was, it was starting to get to a place where people were asking you to submit, like, a singing sample kind of thing. So it was like, here, now you can have, like, Uh a professional-sounding singing sample versus just, like, you singing in your bathroom to like your phone or something. Um, And I was just like, well, you know, I used to do some voiceover stuff when I was a kid. I guess I could probably do some of that too. Like I was just looking for any way to make money. I had, um, Mm -hmm. 
don't know if you're ever used or, you know, the app or like the website Mint. It was like a it was like a budgeting app and like a or budgeting yeah. website. And it had like I got very into that. And it, I remember specifically it had like a pie chart. Like you could set it up the way you wanted to. And it was like but one was like a, a pie chart. And I would set it up because I would just have these little goals of like trying to see like how much money I was making from bartending, how much money I was making from teaching dance classes and like how much I we could make from like our recording business and like just trying to like grow that number like until I don't know it was just like I had this like visual kind of like goal of like oh I actually made more money doing recorded stuff this month than I did on my bartending you know whatever um so it was mm-hmm. like that's kind of I just I had I had done some VO stuff and so I'm not even going to say the website because I don't want to shout them out because I actually think it's not a good website now. But it, I was doing like very cheap VO work. But at the time, it felt very innocent. At the time, it was very like, hey, want to make some side money? I feel like it. Um, and I was like, you know, people were doing crazy things. I was like, I'll edit your paper. or I'll. My boyfriend had like one that was literally like, I'll hold up a sign saying whatever you want and take a picture of myself in Times Square. <laughs> Like, and people were paying money for this. <laughs> so I was like, I'll record, you know, a 30-second VO for whatever you want. So I was, yeah, so I was doing all these little VOs. And I kind of felt, and they were all like, you know, they were like teeny tiny little. I didn't feel much of like a conflict of like, th- they were so like little scrappy, like Bob's blow up pool furniture and you know, Kentucky or something like that, you know, so it wasn't like these big brands or whatever. So it was just sort of like, yeah, sure. Why not? I would come home from my bartending shift. I would have like a list of them, you know, waiting in my inbox and I would just crank them out and do them. And, you know, in my mind, I'm like, sweet, I just made a hundred dollars, you know? Um, Right. And that, right. And at the time, or even now you're like, yeah, you're just like, great. Easy Um, money. Right. Yeah. And, uh, But it kind of just like led me to the realization that this, I don't know, it just like switched my brain in a way that I was like, this is a job. Like I started thinking of all the other mediums in which a voice might be used, you know, Um, phone prompt system, like beyond just commercials. It was like, you know, obviously there's commercials, but then it was like, you know, phone prompt systems and and audiobooks or or how-to guides or, you know, instructional manual, you know, just all the ways in which, and like, you know, again, you just internet, internet videos and internet testimonials and this, that, and the other. Um, and I kind of just became really like laser focused on finding all the avenues in which this could be a paid profession. And so with audiobooks, Incidentally, the like good friend of my boyfriend at the time, this is like a little chain here, <laughs> his best friend's brother-in-law was a producer for Macmillan Publishing. Okay. I had been hounding my boyfriend to try to get a job with Bob. I was like, you know, Bob's an audio engineer. Like, I know it's not exactly what you want to do, but like it is at least relevant to your you know, field of interest and field of study, like you're an audio engineer, like this is audio engineering. And he just was like never that into it. And one day I was like, well, if you're not Mm going to use this contact, like I am. And so I like emailed Bob and was like, hey, I've been doing some voice work. And, you know, I wasn't, you know, I was trying to like buttress it up to being like, I have acting experience. Like um, I'm kind of Mm -hmm. interested in this audiobook stuff. Um, And I think he was just kind of like humoring me, but was like politely humoring me. 
He was like, all right, well, just like send me a sample of yourself recording. I can't remember if he told, he must have told me that he was looking to cast a book. So he, yeah, he had to have. So I looked this author's yeah. books up. I found a passage from one of her books, recorded myself reading it, sent it to him. And he was like, she loved it. You have, the, you can do this book series. So, oh my gosh. <laughs> like a book oh, series. Okay. Your first Great. one. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I was like, fantastic. And was that job at Macmillan? So funnily enough. So no, the first book I ever did, I did by myself. They sent me the manuscript in the mail. So like, I remember getting like the FedEx package with like the full, you know, it was like four inches tall, like, cause it's just on regular, you know, computer paper. Um, I recorded it myself. I didn't have, I was in this little teeny closet that would not fit. Um, I got like a, I got like a bar stool kind of thing. Like that's all I couldn't fit a chair in there. It wasn't wide enough for a chair, but I could like perch my buns on like a a bar stool kind of. Um, (laughs) and I used thumbtacks and I would take, I thumbtacked four pages at a time up on the wall and read them off of this paper. Thank goodness I had, my eyesight wasn't ruined at that point. And I would do four pages and then I would take them down and, you know, throw them on the ground and then tap. Oh, I also like didn't have a monitor. So I would just press record and just free roll it. And I was snapping my fingers every time I would make a mistake. Um, oh, my and, gosh. And then I would let it all go. And then I would go back. And after I was done, sit down. That's actually how I recorded like the first like 40 books that I did, I think. <laughs> I was like pre-rolling them and like just would then and that's why it was such a like a pain in the ass because I would finish and then I'd be like oh now I have to like sit here for like two more hours and like cut out all my mistakes because like I wasn't punch and rolling myself like I was and I couldn't they were asking oh. for punch and roll but I wasn't able to punch and roll um so you were so, yes. delivering raw you couldn't deliver raw files you were delivering sort of edited files without well, yes. your mistakes. Yes. But also wow. that very first book, we edited it too. Like my boyfriend was like, you know, he was like, had gone to school for like mixing and mastering. So he did all kinds of stuff on it. Nobody said anything to me until like months later, he was like, oh, you know, I need to set you up with the like somebody from their post department. Like he needs to go over like your files. And I was like, oh my God, like could have been nice if someone had told me that before. Cause I thought I had to deliver like fully like sale ready audio right um cut to the second book comes along and bob's like oh we got ready for the second book now did you want to do this at home or did you want to come into the studio and do it and i was like i can come into the studio and do it and he was like yeah and i was like well does it pay the same and he was like yeah and i was like oh then i'm definitely coming into the studio <laughs> like, oh you're telling me i can do way <laughs> less work for the same amount of money yeah i think i'll take that option <laughs> I'll take that option. Wait, did yeah. you st- were you still on paper at that point? I I was on the paper, second book. yeah. The second book I was still yeah, on paper. That's that's a skill. Friends, if you're listening, <laughs> before the days of the iPad, when you would get an audiobook or you would even do ESL or any work in a in a audio booth for voiceover, you would get this book that was like what Brittany just said, like 500 pages. And you very carefully had to lay the pages out, read as many as you could on the music stand, and then pick them up, turn them over, and lay out more. And like, 
not make any noises most of the time, too. Yeah. Oh, I'm so impressed with the thumbtack uh, setup that you the had in your home yeah. booth for your yeah. first book. I always I always compare it to like learning to drive and like learning to drive stick shift. Like my first book was under such like ridiculous, uncomfortable conditions that it like everything else felt like a breeze after that. Um, <laughs> That's a really good did, analogy. It's really good. Yeah, it was like this was so hard. And it, oh, oh, the other thing that I love to think about is how like I can't remember how long the book was. It was maybe ten hours. I think it took me like six weeks to do it. <laughs> like, if not longer. Like, <laughs> it took me forever. And now I'm like, oh, now I do like a, you know, 10 hour book in like three and a half days. Do you think that getting these audiobooks and having, uh, you know, learning how to record, edit, direct yourself, produce um, and engineer your, your own audiobooks, do you think that this was sort of the moment uh, in your career where you were like, yeah, I, I can I can do this? Yeah. I mean, I think that it was this like grand fusion of all my like various personality traits and things that I like, because, again, I am a creative adjacent artist, adjacent type of person. But I've always been like really pragmatic and very like not very risk. I'm very risk averse. I'm much more like, you know, I don't know. I just I'm frugal to a fault. Um, I'm just kind of like, I want things to be. So, so my desire for, um, creative success is very much measured and weighed by just like stability. My desire to like pay my bills and be stable and like have some measure of financial success or stability. Um, and so I don't know. How dare you? (laughs) How very dare me. (laughs) It was like this thing of, and, and again, like I, I do love, I love to sing. I love to do all that. But I always loved the work. I loved being in a studio. I loved writing. I liked the collaborative process. I like engineers. I like the types of people who work in audio, you know? So it was like, you know, yeah, I'm not in there doing, I'm not in there singing, but I'm still like in this environment that I very much like and that I feel like I thrive in. It feels creative. It feels I'm getting to like perform. It's not just like a stodgy nine to five, you know, I'm I'm getting to, have new challenges and all that kind of stuff. But once I really realized that there was a sustainable path and, and, you know, I was very lucky in terms of the timing of it It was like, I got into it right when the, like just right before the audio book boom really happened. So it was like, I was able Mm -hmm. to slide in there right before it just became this thing, this massive thing. Um, And so like, after I would say the first two years, which were like, I did one, I, I didn't, you know, I between like doing my first book and it becoming like my full time career, there was still about three years in in that where I would say, or like two and a half, three years, like where I did a book and then it was still just like, I don't really know how this works. Also because I didn't get it through mm-hmm. an agent, I did get it independently, so I didn't like totally know how to keep pursuing it. You know, I was very ambitious and I was very. Um, wanting to be proactive and I didn't really know the ways because it wasn't like 
backstage. It wasn't like something I can just like send my headshot and resume to to self-submit. You know, there was no like now there right. is. I mean, like, I don't think people people who are getting into it now, I'm like, you don't realize how lucky you are. Now there's like open forums for casting where it's like you can audition for an audiobook, But that just didn't exist then. If you didn't know somebody who worked at the no. publisher, like you didn't get the book. Um, right. So, you know, the whole, was, the whole way it is has changed. Yeah. Um, I had to really claw my way in there. <laughs> um, you did. And you certainly did. Uh, so, yeah. You're working on a book now and you're, um, you're always working. And for everybody who's listening, if you, uh, like I said before, if you, listen to TV, you will have heard Brittany. But I just want to um, do like a little rapid fire uh, question round and don't even think about it. Just just a couple of quick questions. Oh, the Pixies. And what's the title of the favorite book you recorded? <sighs> Ooh. If you have one. I feel like I don't have just one. Uh. Oh, how about two? Okay. Um, oh, gosh. Okay. One that stands out. I really loved this book called The Gone World. It was like, it blew my mind. It was like sci-fi and it was very different from anything I'd done up until that point and have ever really done since. Um, just like mm. a really like complex crime fiction slash sci-fi. It was pretty bananas and I loved it. Favorite genre of book to record? Um... Probably YA, actually. And mountains or the beach? Oh, beach. 100%. And then on that note, where are you traveling to next? Um, the next place I'm going, um, I'm going to a wedding in Aruba next month. Amazing. Brittany, it has been so fun talking to you and an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. I am in such awe of your um of your voice of your career and I absolutely I am a huge audiobook fan of yours um I don't listen to a lot of them but I do listen to the ones that you uh, record so I just I hope I get to see you in person again I know. um and I hope you get to travel to where you want to go soon and it was such a pleasure having you on thank you so much thank you for having me We hope you enjoyed today's episode. This podcast was created and produced by Heather Corrigan and Robin Lai. We would like to thank our guest, Brittany Presley, for joining us today. This episode was directed by Robin Lai with assistance from content editor Neve McAuliffe, post-production by JMM Latam, and mastered by Jen Grossman and Clint Rhodes. Special thanks to Boom Integrated and Adrian Glover. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and share it with all of your friends. Tune in next week as we bring you more women's stories that are totally badass and dramatic.